Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on when you're listening to this episode of the iFormerX podcast. This is Stuart Haynes, the editor-in-chief of iFormerX. iFormerX is an online community of practice for ambulatory care practitioners, which includes community pharmacists who offer a range of patient care services. Our goal is to explore the evidence that informs practice, to use the best available evidence to make well-informed decisions, and to expand the frontiers of practice by envisioning the ways our knowledge and expertise can be deployed to most effectively meet patient needs. And if you're not already a member of iFormerX, please join us. It's free for health professionals as well as students and residents. All you need to do is head on over to our website, iFormerX.org, and sign up today. Over the past few years, I've become increasingly interested in the ways that pharmacists can help address drug misuse. While medications have the power to heal, they can also cause significant harm. And one of our roles is to prevent and reduce harm from medications. I don't think our responsibilities are limited to medications that have been prescribed, however. Yes, we have a duty to ensure that prescription drugs are used wisely and monitored properly. But I believe we have an equal responsibility to ensure that medications used without a prescription, without health professional oversight, are used in a manner that is safe and effective. And one of the areas of practice that's really growing is the role of pharmacists in the care of patients with substance use disorder. Yes, this is a niche practice, but there are millions of Americans who live with a substance use disorder, and many of their needs are going unmet. Not only is it very difficult for them to access effective treatments, they're often marginalized and stigmatized by the very people who take an oath to help them. So I truly hope more pharmacists will take steps and consider taking an active role in the care of patients with substance use disorder. So that's why when I saw an article published in the Journal of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy about the role and responsibilities of pharmacists in a substance use disorder clinic and the medication-related problems they address, I thought this would be a great article to feature on iFormerX. And joining me today are two people who are passionate about this topic, Dr. Melissa Palmer and Dr. Amanda Stanky. Melissa is a clinical pharmacist specialist in mental health in the Alaska VA healthcare system and a clinical affiliate faculty with Idaho State University College of Pharmacy. And Amanda is on faculty at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and practices in a patient-aligned care team, or what's known as a PACT, at the Veterans Affairs Medical Center in Kansas City. As many of our listeners know, while substance use disorders are commonplace in every socioeconomic tier of our society, those who have had traumatic life experiences appear to be at somewhat higher risk of misusing substances as a coping mechanism. And and for this reason, the VA is keenly aware and concerned about substance use disorder. Both Melissa and Amanda have been longtime contributors to iFormerX, so it's great to welcome them both back on the podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me back, Stuart. Yes, thanks for having us back. So before we get started into the descriptive report that you reviewed for iFormerX, I'd like to start by asking you about your journey. How how did the two of you get started in this space? 
Why do you think this is an important area of practice that we, and by we, I mean pharmacists, need to develop and envision playing a larger role? And finally, how do the two of you get connected? Melissa, you're in Alaska, and Amanda, you're in Kansas City, which is like, what, 3,500 miles apart? That is true, and that is a great question, Stuart. My involvement with substance use disorders actually started back in 2011. I was a fresh ambulatory care pharmacist out of residency and found myself at an FQHC during my first faculty appointment where one of the providers really wanted to start working on an opioid use disorder service. There were very few resources of that kind in our area. So being involved with that initial development of that type of clinic was unique for that area and for pharmacists in general. Since then, my main involvement has been with alcohol use disorder, which is one of the most prevalent substance use disorders. So within PACS at the VA, clinical pharmacy practitioners, or CPPs, assist with screening for alcohol use disorder. We provide education and brief interventions and can prescribe medications to assist when needed. And we have direct access to wonderful CPPs like Melissa, who specialize in substance use disorder that we use in so many different ways, including referring patients especially those that are a little bit more difficult. Though there are services available for people affected by substance use disorder, many don't seek them. And I feel like as pharmacists, we are well-placed within those clinics to assist when someone is seeking care. And funnily enough, Amanda was my first introduction to the VA system when I was an APPE student on rotation with her many years ago. It was my first time directly working with veterans, followed by two years of residency within the VA system in a geographical area that was really ripe with opioid use. And and I can recall moonlighting as a resident in the community and having technicians tell me that the pharmacy pick had directed them to turn away patients presenting with buprenorphine prescriptions. I was flabbergasted. Here I am in a part of the country hit hardest by the opioid epidemic and healthcare providers due to, in large part, stigma or actively preventing treatment access. So when I returned as faculty briefly with the University of Missouri-Kansas City and worked with Amanda, now as a colleague and a friend, The drive to increase empathy and reduce stigma prompted me to seek out care opportunities within this patient population. And that ultimately led me to my current position where I see a number of patients with substance use disorders back in the VA, where for me, it really all started. So Amanda, let's talk about the paper that appears in the Journal of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy, or JACCP. The paper was published in April 2023, and it's entitled Pharmacists Delivered Comprehensive Medication Management in a Substance Use Disorder Clinic, an 18-month descriptive study. And we, of course, have posted a link to the original paper on the iFormerX website. Now, this isn't a randomized controlled trial rather a descriptive report, but I'm wondering if you can summarize what the pharmacists do in this practice and what they found. So like you mentioned, it was an 18-month observational prospective descriptive study that was conducted from April of 2021 until September of 2022. Really, the main goals of the study were to provide more information regarding pharmacist-led SUD services within an outpatient treatment program, focusing on how to implement CMM, or comprehensive medication management, in this area and evaluate the medication therapy problems that are encountered and can potentially be addressed. 
The pharmacist was on site in the opioid treatment program about 10 hours per week, completing visits in person, via video, or via telephone with patients referred by clinic staff. Additionally, the Withdrawal Management and Detoxification Unit and the inpatient residential treatment program parts of the center could refer patients to the CMM services when needed. Specific referral criteria were developed and included patients with unstable mental or medical health conditions, those patients with greater than three months of continued positive urine drug screens, patients who had withdrawal complaints when taking 120 milligrams or more of methadone, those with a QTC interval greater than 450 milliseconds, or those with just medication questions. Also, staff, if they were concerned about prescription monitoring programs, could trigger a referral for that patient. The care team gained consent for a pharmacist referral at that time when they identified the patient and then alerted the pharmacist. Prior to January of 2022, the pharmacist actually contacted the patient after insurance and billing authorizations were completed to schedule initial visits. But from January 2022 on, a more streamlined process was implemented that allowed for increased ease of scheduling that was done by the nursing staff. During the visits, the MTPs or medication therapy problems were identified and individualized care plans were developed for each patient that then was shared with care team for implementation. Unfortunately, a collaborative practice agreement was not in place, so the pharmacist was unable to make adjustments at the time of the visit. The average age of 112 patients included the analysis was 39, and almost half of them were male. The majority were diagnosed with opioid use disorder. They had an additional SUD diagnosis and were being treated with methadone. There were a total of 187 CMM encounters completed, mostly initial visits due to the majority of patients not completing a follow-up during the study period. And each of those visits lasted about 17 minutes on average, requiring 15 minutes of pre-visit prep time and about 40 minutes of post-visit time, with obviously follow-up visits requiring less of that pre- and post-visit time. Each participant had an average of one medication therapy problem per encounter, and about a quarter of those were marked resolved by the end of the study period. The most common of those MTPs identified was needs additional drug therapy, followed by needs additional monitoring and non-adherence. And the most resolved ones by the end of the study were non-adherence, needs additional drug therapy, and adverse medication events. Reimbursement using fee-for-service MTM codes amounted to almost $8,000, which was a little more than half of what they actually billed for. Also of note, during a portion of the study period, the pharmacist surveyed the care team regarding their experience and all of the staff agreed or strongly agreed that the CMM consult was helpful to them and to their clients. Well, Melissa, let's talk about some of the strengths and limitations of the study. As a descriptive report, the goal is primarily to characterize the practice and the kinds of problems they've encountered in their practice. The results can't be generalized to any other practice, and the, and the role and responsibilities of pharmacists are going to be different in different settings. But I'm hoping you can take a moment to describe what you found most interesting about this descriptive report and what you think is missing. Like, what would you have liked to have known that they didn't talk about in their report? And based on your own experiences, do you think these findings are generalizable and that the practice they describe is feasible for other pharmacists to implement? You know, this study adds to a growing body of literature showing that clinical pharmacists can have a positive impact in the substance use disorders clinical setting. So this this definitely added to our arsenal, if you will, of, of evidence supporting that. But the biggest piece I'm left with questions about is a breakdown of the medication therapy problems identified by the clinical pharmacist. 
we as the reader don't know where the biggest impact was made in terms of affected disease states. The pharmacist administering CMM was board certified in ambulatory care and had substance use disorder training. So I'm wondering where the bulk of the interventions occurred. Were they more medical or SUD related? Unfortunately, we know not all ambulatory care providers are comfortable with substance use disorders. Because of that, these results may not be entirely generalizable in the typical ambulatory care setting where there are more barriers to SUD assessment and treatment. Of course, I want to be proven wrong here because I strongly believe substance use disorders can be appropriately treated in the ambulatory care setting. We have lots of evidence to back that up. And just as Amanda is doing in the primary care arena with alcohol use disorder. One way that this this SUD provision of care can occur is through a collaborative practice agreement. In this study, the clinical pharmacist didn't have one and medication therapy problems were resolved through care coordination. This is an obvious limitation to the effectiveness of pharmacist-delivered CMM. Amanda and I are very lucky in that the VA allows us to practice at the top of our licenses. I personally have my DEA and am able to manage things such as outpatient alcohol withdrawal with gold standard benzodiazepines and can also prescribe buprenorphine. This is amazing progress for patient access. And, and actually, a hot off the press publication from just a few days ago looked at the data with DEA registered clinical pharmacist practitioners within the VA setting and summarized some of the positive impacts on patient care needs, particularly in vulnerable and underserved populations. And I really don't think it's a far stretch of the imagination to call patients with untreated substance use disorders both vulnerable and underserved. I think overall addressing patient health globally, both medical and SUD-related needs through CMM is very feasible in a variety of settings. The study examined CMM in the SUD treatment setting, but we know from the VA patient-aligned care team model that SUDs don't have to be addressed just within specialty care. And with a little additional training and support, patients with SUDs can be better served across the care continuum. Even without a CPA, as demonstrated by this study, patient care can be improved, although a CPA can certainly make things a little easier. Well, I have one more question, and I, I'm sure you believe, as I do, that pharmacists can and should pay a much bigger role in providing services to patients with a substance use disorder. So in the short run, what are some things every ambulatory care and community pharmacist can do right now to help people get their needs met? And then long term, what are some things that more pharmacists should be trained to do and where can they get that training? Every pharmacist, regardless of practice setting, can assist in recognizing when substance use disorder may be an issue. And listeners can reference our previous commentary or listen to the podcast from 2020 on screening for unhealthy substance use that discussed a little bit more of these areas. Within the ambulatory care setting, we are well positioned to identify these signs as we discuss their other disease states. An assessment of social history should be a part of every first encounter with a patient, every visit for those that have pertinent positives or history of positives and periodically thereafter if the patient denies substance use. General training to understand the patient populations at risk, what signs we're looking for, how to appropriately assess, and providing brief interventions. 
really should be standard of practice. And then when we should be referring patients to those maybe specialist pharmacists and substance use disorder clinics like Melissa. Additionally, pharmacists should be using prescription monitoring programs when applicable and be comfortable with educating on and dispensing naloxone. Regarding training, the authors actually mention a few trainings that are available within the publication, including CE offered by the American Society of Addiction Medicine. Trainings and certifications are also available through many state organizations, and the Substance Use and Mental Health Service Administration has a plethora of trainings available to pharmacists and other practitioners. To tack on to what Amanda has shared, professional organizations such as the American Association of Psychiatric Pharmacists also provides a multitude of educational opportunities and clinical resources and the ability to connect with other clinicians practicing in, in similar spaces. Training and educating ourselves is, of course, a necessary step, but logistically putting these things into practice also requires support within your practice setting. There are lots of considerations here. Is your supervisor on board? Are there other providers who are interested in SUDs to collaborate with? Do you have the ability to set up a CPA or expand the one you already have? Is getting your DEA in the realm of possibility? It can be really overwhelming to start from scratch. Maybe a starting point for your clinic setting could be harm reduction. This ranges from education on safer syringe use, infectious disease testing, discussion of safer sex practices, naloxone access, or providing fentanyl test strips. Another, quote, easy place to start is ensuring that you're communicating with patients and other healthcare professionals about substance use disorders effectively. Phrases such as dirty urine drug screens and addict are no longer appropriate, and it can take an adjustment to relearn the best language to use, which is aimed at removing negative stereotypes and ultimately reducing stigma. I'll also just throw out there, one of the most important things from my perspective is also to remember we have to meet the patient where they're at. Thinking about a patient with diabetes, we don't write them off because they don't adhere to their recommended diet. So it is unreasonable to hold a standard of perfection to those dealing with substance use. And remember that every patient is worth our time. Well, Amanda, Melissa, thank you again for being on the iFormerX podcast today. And I'm so grateful that you agreed to write a commentary about this paper. As you can probably tell, I think this is an area of practice that is underdeveloped and we need better models of care for people with substance use disorder. And I think pharmacists can play a really significant role in addressing the needs of this population. So tell us what you think. What is your health system doing and how are pharmacists involved? Perhaps you can be an advocate. Remember, only iFormerX members can leave comments and use the interactive features. And I know many of you are using iFormerX content for board recertification purposes. We've partnered with the American Pharmacists Association to create the Literature Evaluation and Evidence-Based Practice Series, which is part of their Ambulatory Care Board Prep and Recertification Program. And if you'd like to learn more, just click on that link that's posted just below the written commentary on our website. And lastly, I want to thank Lucas Hill at the University of Texas at Austin, who has been an iFormerX contributor and recruiter. Lucas really opened my eyes a few years ago about how our approach to medication control was likely contributing to the opioid epidemic by pushing people underground. 
Lucas has been working tirelessly in the harm reduction space, and I know he cares deeply about people with substance use disorder and creating a healthcare system that treat addiction like any other chronic disease, similar to hypertension, dyslipidemia, and diabetes. It's an ongoing, holistic, and patient-centered way. Well, Lucas, I'm so grateful for the work you're doing, and I got to get you back on the iFormerX podcast again someday soon. Well, until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormerX, signing off. Mm-hmm.